as we open the word of God today, let us begin in prayer. Would you pray with me? Holy Spirit, who has gifted your church to speak in many languages so that your good news can be proclaimed to the nations. Today, would you open our ears to hear the word you have for us so that we will continue to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. We pray this in his name. Amen. I invite you to stand, please, for the reading of the word today. We'll begin with 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. Finally, brothers and sisters, pray for us so that the word of the Lord may spread rapidly and be glorified everywhere, just as it is among you, and that we may be rescued from wicked and evil people, for not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. He will strengthen you and guard you from the evil one. And our second reading is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, verse 13. And do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I'm Pastor Joy. I always smile when we sing a song like we did at the beginning of the surface. There is joy in the house of the Lord. Um, it was good to see you all today, and a special welcome to the visitors today. So, when my husband Justin and I, uh, when our daughter was one year old, Justin and I vacationed in Maine with some college friends, and one evening our families went canoeing in on Long Pond, which is a kind of wrongly named large glacial lake near Bar Harbor. And Justin and I have canoed together many times before that and since then. But this was Evelyn's first canoe adventure, and she was very excited to touch the water, which at that time she called la-da-la, because that's kind of the sound water makes. So she'd say la-da-la and lean over and touch the water. And just so you know, Evelyn has given me permission to tell this story. It was a beautiful evening, as you can see. And as the time in the canoe lengthened, Evelyn became more and more engaged with the water. And she started standing up in the canoe to try to dip her hands in. Sit down, Evelyn, we said. You'll fall in. It was only a matter of time, right, before the baby went overboard. And Justin, who was in the stern, grabbed her by the front of her life jacket and rescued her from the water. She was mostly surprised, but she was also cold, and we had to wait until we got back to shore to address that and wrap her in a towel. But she was okay. She had been rescued. And that's what we're looking at today, rescue. Particularly, rescue from evil in the seventh and final petition of the Lord's Prayer. We'll finish up the story, this study next week with a benediction statement. Just a map of where we've gone, mostly, and where we'll go. Um, we have been through the three your statements, and now we're on the fourth us petition. 
Last week, Pastor Lars preached on the first part of this petition, lead us not into temptation, emphasizing that God does not tempt us, but he does work within us during the times of trial, if we'll allow it. And so now we continue, but deliver us from evil. Now, maybe you noticed something in our scripture reading this morning. In our pew Bibles and in the text we put on the screen, that was the NRSV translation, and it said, the evil one. But in our prayer, we say, deliver us from evil. Did you notice that difference? Your Bible, if you, if you open it to Matthew 6, chapter 13, depending on the translation, it might say the evil one, and it might say evil. Um, when it says the evil one, that would be specifically talking about the Satan, the accuser, the devil. So what is it? The evil or the evil one? And that's kind of our first question we take to this text, because there's a certain ambiguity there. And let me tell you, you can really get lost in the weeds trying to figure this out. But the conclusion I came to is, does it really matter? Does it matter which evil you're rescued from? Do you only want to be rescued from the evil one, but not evil generally? I mean, personally, I would like to be rescued from all the evil. I would like to be delivered from all the evil. So as we approach this prayer, perhaps we can say, deliver us, our Father who art in heaven, from all the evil and the evil one. Because there is so much evil to be delivered from, right? I mean, just look at the news. Violence. Deliver us from violence, dear Lord. Deliver our communities from the abuse of women and children and elders. Deliver us from entrenched systems that keep people trapped in sin. Deliver us from abusive habits to our bodies and minds and souls. Deliver us from broken families and broken relationships. Deliver us from evil, all evil. But what is exactly evil? Sometimes it's something that we can speak about and recognize, but we've maybe never defined. I want to offer you what I think is a good definition of evil. Any act or event that corrupts the wholeness and flourishing God intends, evil as any act or event that corrupts the wholeness and flourishing God intends. Evil is not the good and true and beautiful way of God. So God, deliver us from everything that is not your way. Rescue us. Sometimes, however, when we pray this prayer, kind of, getting on the Lord's prayer train and praying it down the track and not thinking about it, sometimes we forget what we mean, actually, when we pray this prayer. And and instead, we might try to deliver ourselves from evil. We might try to take evil and matters into our own hands and rescue ourselves. We might say, deliver me from evil, self, as we attempt to climb back into the canoe. But it is really hard to climb back into a a canoe if you've fallen out especially if you're only one year old. We kind of give it the good college try. So here's some ways we try to rescue ourselves from evil. First, maybe if we ignore evil, we'll feel rescued by it, and it will be the same thing. Like if you don't look at it, don't name it, maybe it will go away. Or or maybe not ignore it completely, but just kind of turn down the volume a bit. Kind of say, oh, everyone's just being silly, but if we all try a little harder and maybe smile a bit more, it will all work out well. 
The biblical theologian N.T. Wright compares this response to saying, when the house is on fire. Well, it's getting a little warm, but if we all take off a layer and drink more iced tea, perhaps things will get better. This sounds ridiculous, right? But we have all tried to ignore evil at times. I mean, have you ever wanted to escape into a feel-good movie? Do you ever need some comfort food or perhaps to self-medicate, right? We can use these things, all which aren't necessarily bad, not the self-medication, but to deliver ourselves from evil so that we forget. But when we put our heads in the sand, we get sand in our nostrils and we can't see anything good or evil because hiding from evil isn't deliverance. We can't rescue ourselves from evil. Another way we might try to deliver ourselves from evil is to become an expert in evil. Like, know the enemy, right? Because if you know it, then you can have some control. That's the thought. And so you put on your night vision goggles and you look around, seeing evil all over the place. Constant vigilance. And perhaps you know already that radical evil and and even some biblical truths about the evil one and fallen angels can be so captivating. And so you can seek deliverance by learning about the enemy and developing battle strategies and thinking of yourself as on the front lines. Let me deliver us from evil, you might pray. But in the self-deliverance, there's a sense that one is caving in and allowing evil to dominate by being overly focused on it and not on Christ. It reminds me of a quote by C.S. Lewis, and I've said this in sermons before because it's so good. It's from C.S. Lewis' introduction to the Screwtape Letters. He writes, There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. And we can do this with demons, and we can do this with evil, right? An unhealthy and excessive interest in them. My friends, this perspective misses our call to focus on Christ as the center. Obsession with learning about evil is not a way to rescue ourselves. We can't climb back into the canoe on our own. The third way we try to rescue ourselves from evil is to focus on our own holiness. Lord, I thank thee that I am not evil like other people. This is self-righteousness, right? I'm so glad I'm not like them. Those evil and bad people, by being good, I have delivered myself from evil. Thanks be to me. I mean, none of these three ways work, right? I mean, we cannot rescue ourselves from evil. And I think we have different personalities, and each of us is kind of going to go for one of these more than the other, to hide from evil, to war against it, to pretend we're not culpable because we're so good and holy. We all have a tendency. But we can't and don't deliver ourselves from evil. You know why? Because evil isn't just something outside of us. It's in us. The ambiguity of this this passage, deliver us from the evil, means that there's not simply one cause of evil. And so when we pray, deliver us from the evil, it it means all sorts and all sources of evil, like this. There we go. So evil includes, but is not limited to, sin when created beings, including humans, choose their own way rather than God's way, which separates them from God. Another source of evil is what we call natural evil, like a tsunami that kills thousands of people. 
And then there are evil spiritual beings, such as the Satan and fallen angels, demons. And often we think of evil as something equal to and opposite good, like this. So you see evil on one side, and on the other side is the good, God and angels and the Bible and good people, right? See how the circles are the same size? There's quite a few worldviews that follow this dichotomy. We even see it in Star Wars with the light side and the dark side. Good and evil are equal. Choose which team you're on, the bad guys or the good guys. But actually, this is not a Christian understanding of evil. So don't remember this. Only remember it with an X over it. There we go. This is not a biblical teaching of good and evil. Rather, evil is more like a parasite on the good. See that? This good side needs to be absolutely huge, but we don't have room for it. Evil, rather than being separate and equal to good, evil is a corruption of the good, just like rust corrupts steel or iron. Evil and sin have no independent being on their own. They are a force that contaminates and perverts and corrupts the good. And because evil is a corruption of the good, evil cannot exist on its own. It shows up anywhere there's something good, like a parasite, like a virus. And so, therefore, because God created and called the word the world good, evil can show up anywhere there's good. And this has to start with us, with our own flesh and our own desire. We read about this in James 1. No one, when tempted, should say, I am being tempted by God, because God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself tempts no one. But one is tempted by one's own desire, being lured and enticed by it. And then when that desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and that sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. This is kind of a grotesque paragraph, I think. It takes this beautiful metaphor of love and the conception of a child, something good, and it turns it into the conception of sin through the lure of desire. And it's this desire within us that tempts us, that gives birth to sin and leads to death. And it's this picture of this grotesque sin baby that comes from within each of us because corruption corrupts and we're not immune. And we're reminded that as people with the freedom to choose, we can be tempted toward corruption from within. All of us, all people have potential for both great evil and great good, but naturally, we, humanity, have become bent away from God. As the Apostle Paul writes, there is no one who is righteous, not even one. There is no one who has understanding There is no one who seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. There is no one who shows kindness, not even one. And this sounds bad, you know, especially for those of us who prefer to deliver ourselves through our own (laughs) self-righteousness. But it's true. However, even as we affirm humanity's bent toward evil, the complexity of what it means to be human always and also includes the reflection of the image of God in each of us. That we are bent, yes, toward sin, but we're also image bearers of God. So we have to think of ourselves, of humanity, as marred images, broken images, broken statues, broken images of God. 
but images of God nonetheless. And so we're really mixed up as human beings, corrupted, bent toward sin, but image of God. And so we're both complicit in evil, but also created for something so much more. Alexander Solzhenitsyn, who was held in a Soviet prison, forced labor camp, and exile for over eight years in the 40s and 50s, had ample time to observe human nature from a Christian perspective. And he wrote, The line separating good and evil passes not through states, not between classes, nor between political parties either, but right through every human heart and through all human hearts. And so as we pray, deliver us from the evil, we're praying, deliver me from that part of me that's bent toward evil, our Father who art in heaven. Rescue me from my sinful desires. Keep me from corruption. The evil isn't just outside me, Father in heaven, it's in me too, and so rescue me from myself. Deliver us from evil. The second source of evil, sometimes in scripture, is called the world, but that can be others, that can be other people. We heard Paul warn about this in the Second Thessalonians passage I read earlier. Pray for us that we may be rescued from wicked and evil people. But scripture is full of warnings about others. And even as I say this, I caution us to remember what I just taught about our bent toward evil and also being made in the image of God. So we have to remember that tension. But let's look at Proverbs 1 together. The father warns the child, My child, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, Come with us, let us lie and wait for blood, let us wantonly ambush the innocent like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all kinds of costly things. We shall fill our houses with booty. Throw in your lot among us. We will all have one purse. My child, do not walk in their way. Keep your foot from their paths, for their feet run to evil, and they hurry to shed blood. That's a lot of words. What the father is saying is, don't hang out with the wrong crowd. Don't hang out with those who want to harm other human beings, who want to steal from them. They are not in it for you. Beware of the enticement of your peers, the father says. This is peer pressure, right, toward violence, those who steal, those whose feet run to evil. And this is not a crowd a good father wants his children to hang out with, or a good mother for that matter. Because we are formed by the people that we hang out by. We're formed by who and what we spend our time with. And so this is why, students, your parents care about who you hang out with. Is he a good influence? Does she want the best for you? Does she make you into a better person? This isn't to be annoying or to squash your freedom. This is because your parents don't want you to hang out with people who are bad for you. They don't want you hanging out with bullies. They don't want you to be corrupted, to be rusted out, and to be bent further away from God. However, even people who are not our friends also influence us, especially in the age of mass media. People who create the media and media platforms we use, who write and direct the movies we watch, the songs we listen to, the news we tune into, the podcasts we make, and these all have formative power in our hearts and minds. They are not neutral. Either they will build us up as followers of Jesus, as people who take joy in truth, goodness, and beauty, or they will corrupt our character. As the Apostle Paul wrote, bad company corrupts good character. 
And much of our company these days is our phones. The most recent scientific research on the relationship between technology and mental health demonstrates both a correlation and a causation between smartphone use and the rise of anxiety and depression in young people. This is not good news. This is not the flourishing that God intends for us. I know things are so shiny and compelling and engineered to captivate us, but to do its worst, evil needs to look its best. And we don't always recognize evil as evil. Sometimes we see evil and it looks good. It looks compelling. One theologian says, evil spends a lot on makeup. And evil will take its pretty time to seduce. Corruption takes a long time. A pipe doesn't suddenly burst at the first instance of rust, right? But it will. And so as we pray, deliver us from evil, we pray, rescue us from worldly influences that will further bend my will from your will, God. Rescue us from the influencers that increase our self-centeredness, our idolatry, our pride, our obsession with sex and status and power. Rescue us from the noise and chaos that leads to despair and distraction. Rescue us, our Father who art in heaven. Deliver us from evil. Finally, when we pray, deliver us from evil, we pray, deliver us from the evil one. So this exact word in Greek, the exact form there, that's translated the evil or the evil one, occurs 12 times in the New Testament, in the Greek version. Six of the 12 times it's translated the evil one. Five times it's translated plain evil. This is the 12th time. And so that leaves the Matthew 6, 13 text, which I read is encompassing both the evil one and evil generally. But who is the evil one? This is the Satan, the accuser, the bodily bodiless, right? He's not incarnate like Jesus. Almost nameless. Usually he's called the Satan, the accuser. So he doesn't have a name like God does, and that's important. Um, a rebellious being who denies the character of God. It denies God's truthfulness, goodness, and otherness. It told the woman in the garden that she could be like God. She was already like God. She'd been made in God's image. But an image bearer requires a source for the image. You know what I mean? And so at our best, humanity can only reflect the glory of God. God is required for us to be, and we are never the source. God is the source. We cannot exist as humanity on our own. And the evil one's primary goal is to convince us that we can, that we don't need to be in relationship, that we don't need to know the Holy One who shows us and tells us what it means to be truly human, to be true image bearers. But it's to this source of meaning, the source of life and light, the source of love that we turn to in our prayer, our Father who art in heaven. Deliver us from the evil one. Rescue us from the one who lies about you, who questions you, who seeds lies as doubt, who turns our attention to what we don't have rather than what we do have. Rescue us, our Father who art in heaven, from the evil one. This is the good news. God, our Father who art in heaven, does rescue us, and he is rescuing us now. 
As Paul wrote, the Lord is faithful. He will strengthen you and guard you from the evil one. God has rescued us. He is rescuing us now, and he will rescue us. He has rescued us by Jesus' defeat of evil and the Satan on the cross when he was crucified. Colossians 2.15 reads, He disarmed the rulers and authorities, that's Satan, and the fallen angels, and made a public example of them, triumphing over them in it. Jesus has already defeated the evil one. The evil one has lost, and he knows it. But you know how mad losers can get. That's what's going on now. Because we're in an in-between time now, and we recognize that the residual powers of evil still exist. And so God continues to, rec- to, to rescue us. He's rescuing us now. He rescues us as we follow the Spirit, engaging in Scripture and in prayer, and being in relationship with other people who follow Jesus, being part of the body of Christ, the church. This is a really important part in our rescue from Jesus, for our rescue from the evil one is Christian relationships, spiritual friendships. So I wonder, how many of you can say, I have relationships with people who help me follow Jesus more closely in word and deed, who live their life centered on the rescuer, Christ? I want and pray that all of you can say this. I remember last year when I was studying for my oral comps for my MDiv program with another student and pastor, and this was just right at the beginning of COVID. And Jeremy and I had prepared questions for each other about the Bible and church history and theology. It was a video conference we'd set up after our kids were in bed. And so we were asking each other deep, hard questions and receiving answers and giving critiques, just like the committee would do. But at one moment, Jeremy just suddenly stopped the conversation, got real still and silent, and I thought, is he frozen? Did I say something wrong? And I was like, hey, what are you thinking about? And he said, I was just imagining what it would have been like to have known Jesus, to have known him when he was on earth, to have walked with him and been friends with him. Right in the middle of preparing for a giant exam, this moment stuck in my mind for the last 17 months. This is a man who loves Jesus and whose imagination is being formed by God's story. It's really important to be in conversation and regular fellowship with other Christians. And this is one of the ways the Spirit uses the church to deliver each of us from evil. Deliver us from evil now, Jesus. Deliver us from the idols of our day, from the ideologies of our day. And we will be finally and fully delivered. There's a future hope in this. We read about this in Revelation chapter 12. The great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And then I heard a loud voice in heaven proclaiming, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah, his rescuer. For the accuser of our comrades has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. And so as we wait, we can trust in the presence of God with us, our loving Father who art in the heavenly realm, 
who gives us a life jacket and then pulls us out when we fall in because the Lord is faithful. He will strengthen us and guard us from the evil one. Rescue us from the evil. Rescue us from the evil one, our Father who art in heaven. Amen. So every, after every message in this series, we've prayed the Lord's Prayer together, sort of with a fresh, new understanding of it. So we're going to do that again today. But after the deliver us from evil part, there'll be a slide that will remind us to pause. Ask the Spirit, what evil, maybe you, maybe you don't even need to ask, maybe you just know right off the top of your head, but what evil do you need to be delivered from now, today? Take a moment to ponder that. And I also invite you to ponder, after you've named that, who is God inviting you to share this burden with? In the church, a pastor, what does this look like? What has rescued you look like? So let us pray together and then have a time of silence together. Let's pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We'll take a moment of silent prayer. Allow God to pick you up out of the evil that you've fallen into, that you've been influenced by, or that you have been or are being corrupted by. Rescue us, dear Lord, from the evil within us and outside us, and rescue us from the evil one. And we continue in prayer. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let us stand and sing in response.